Corinthians 7. So this chapter here, Paul is answering some questions that were asked of him. Right? He, he's writing really a response to certain questions that he was getting. And, and remember, in chapter 6, Paul was like really, really hammering about, um, you know, run away from sexual sin. He says, run away from it. And, and he talked about how that those who were part of God's kingdom were called to live a different way. Right? It doesn't mean that we're arrogant. It doesn't mean that we're condescending. He's just pointing out that those that know the Lord, those that are part of the kingdom of God, they're living in a different way because God has saved us and he's changing us. Amen. And so he's saying, look, the, the people that are, are living in uh, sexual immorality, the people that are, and it's not only that because he lists other sins as well, but he's saying these are sins that describe people that aren't part of God's kingdom. Right. And it's just like really, even in our culture now, we shouldn't expect non-Christians to act like Christians, right? And, and that's what I think Paul's pointing out. He's like, hey, you guys, in chapter 6, remember he was saying like, hey, don't go, don't go to the public courts about your little quarrels that you guys can't get along. He's like, what is that? What kind of testimony is that? He says, you guys are part of the kingdom of God. Like, you should be above that. You should be able to work these things out amongst yourself. And then he lists these sins, of, of these sexual sins and other sins, and he says, Look, these are characteristics of people that aren't part of the kingdom of God. They don't live in that way because they're, they're not believers. And, and so it almost seems like some were then questioning Paul, like, well, I mean, should we just refrain from, 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 from sexual relationship altogether? And, and so Paul's writing and he's saying, concerning the things that you wrote me, by the way, yeah, kind of an awkward topic, right? But well, we're going through verse by verse through the Bible. We're not going to be, you know, descriptive or crude or anything like that. But it is in the word of God. So let's address it and let's deal with it. Because all of the Bible is God-breathed and it's for our profit. So let's read it. So Paul says, concerning the things that you wrote me, um, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. That's not talking about, you know, a brush up or a handshake or a fist bump or, you know, a side hug. Like, oh, I got to avoid all contact with the opposite gender. This is referring to like having sexual relations. Paul, Paul's saying, yeah, it, it's good that a man doesn't have the sexual relations with a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. And let every woman have her own husband. So he's saying, look, in the context of marriage, it's actually not wrong. In fact, he's saying, not only is it okay, but he's saying, don't withhold within the context of marriage. So as believers, like we see this, another just great example that we see, and we talked about this a little bit in chapter six, where sometimes there's this misconception like, oh, God is keeping me from something. God just doesn't want me to enjoy life. God just doesn't want me to have any fun. Well, there were those um, around this time that would have had that same persuasion. There, there was the influence of what's called Gnosticism, which basically is like anything enjoyable must be bad. Well, that's not true. Like God gave us things to enjoy. But we need to enjoy them within God's boundaries. Amen? Enjoy them within God's boundaries. And Paul's saying, look, I'm not saying not to ever have physical intimacy. Actually, in marriage, it's commended. He's saying, in fact, in marriage, don't withhold that. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. God created it. But when God creates 
Satan counterfeits. When God creates man in our fallen state, in our, the fallen state of man perverts something that God creates is beautiful. So Paul's saying, look, yeah, it's good outside of the boundaries of marriage, right? Don't, don't do that. In fact, remember chapter 6, he says, run away from it. Run away from it. And again, let me just interject this. Today's sermon is not to try to guilt trip anyone of maybe things you've done in your past, right? We're talking about right now. We're talking about the present, where you're at right now. Maybe you've made mistakes. Well, you know what? All of us have, but don't continue in those things. Don't just throw your hands up in defeat because you've made mistakes in the past. Be committed that from this day on, you're going to follow God's ways. Be committed that this day on, that you are going to honor Christ, as he said in chapter 6. Because our body is, doesn't just belong to us, it's, it's God's temple. It's, it belongs to God. And we need to live in a way that's glorifying to him. So he says, look, within marriage, within marriage, it's beautiful. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. That benevolence just means that loving affection. And likewise, also the wife undo the husband. So he's saying, look, within marriage, don't withhold. Don't withhold. Give to one another unselfishly. Verse 4, the wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. So he's saying to wives, look, your body belongs to your husband. So oh, I don't know if I like the sound of that. We'll keep reading, right? Because <laughs> he says the same thing. Husbands, your body belongs to your wife. In other words, what he's saying is be unselfish. Be generous with one another. Don't withhold from one another. He uses in verse 5 the word don't defraud one another or don't deprive one another of that sexual relationship. Uh, he says... Except it be with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. He's like, okay, so maybe for a spiritual reason, there's going to be a time you're really praying and fasting on something. And, and you're going to communicate to one another that, you know what, we're, we're going to take some time apart. He's like, that, that's fine. Verse number uh, six, he says, like, I speak that by permission. It's not a commandment. Like, you don't have to, to you know, to, to withhold from what. But, you know, he's like, look, there might be a time. There might be a time for spiritual reasons of, again, you're praying specifically, fasting over something when you, would, when you would withhold from that as well. But he said, look, make sure, make sure then that you come together again, that Satan tempts you not for your incontinency. So he's saying, look, there's a time when maybe you're going to withhold from one another, but, but then come back together. And he's saying, otherwise, like this is going to be an open door for Satan to tempt. Now, this is really important that we talk about this uh, because there's times where a spouse maybe is unfaithful and they cheat on their spouse and then they do, it's called victim shaming or victim blaming. Well, I cheated, but I wouldn't have if, if, I, if my wife would be more affectionate or if my husband would be more. And it's almost like they use that as an excuse for their sin. And the thing is, um, no one's responsible for your sin. Except you. Like, no one's responsible for my sin except me. So, so he's not saying that it's an excuse to sin. But he is saying, if a husband and wife aren't having that loving affection, that, that intimacy together, it's going to open up some doors for temptation. And that's just the reality of it. Again, we're not saying that it's an excuse to sin. It's not. But you know what? It could be an open door to temptation even more so than normal. So he's saying, look, this is within marriage. Like God wants 
couples to stay together. He wants them to have, he wants us as couples, married couples, to have a loving, fruitful relationship. And again, this is because this is part of God's plan. It's beautiful. It's, in fact, Hebrew says that it's honorable. There's no shame in it um, within God's boundaries. Amen? And so we need to live within those boundaries that God has set. So now he goes on, verse number uh, verse number eight. Again, I told you, this chapter is a little bit awkward, but it's all God's word, and so we're not going to skip over it. He said, I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they can't contain, then let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn. So he's saying, look, it, it, those that, that, that maybe have been married and you have a spouse that's passed away, he said, look, he, he's putting a plug in for being single. It's like, it's better to remain as I. So Paul was single. We don't know if maybe Paul was married. Like there's some, um, there's some indication that maybe he was um, just with his, um, his role within like the Sanhedrin. Seems like that would have been a position of like that, that they would have been married to, ha- to hold that, um, hold that uh, position. And actually I meant to ask Pastor Howard what his thoughts were on that. And I forgot to, but, but he could probably give you more insight. But, but the point is this. We don't know that for certain. He may have been married and, and his wife passed away. Maybe his wife left him because of his radical conversion to Christianity. But the point is, at this point in his life, he's single, right? And, and, and he's saying, like, look, it might be better to remain as I um, and, and not to marry. And we'll look later on in the chapter. He kind of points out some benefits to being single, right? Not saying you have to, but he's saying, look, don't discount the fact that there, there could be some, some advantages to that. Uh, he says, but look, if you can't, if you can't contain and marry, it's better to marry than to burn or to have that deep passion and desire. If you have that passion and desire and, and you need to marry and want to marry, he's like, go ahead. Now, verse 10, he says, unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. So, That phrase looks a little weird or awkward. What does that mean? Yet not I, but the Lord is saying this. Well, all of the the scripture we have is God breathed. It's inspired by God. Why is he saying this? Well, this is simply just a reference of he's saying that Christ in his earthly ministry actually addressed this specific thing. Because here we're going to look at a verse in, in a moment where he says that, you know, that the Lord didn't say this, but I am. And it's just simply saying that Christ didn't specifically address that in his earthly ministry. So what is he saying? What is the Lord's teaching? He said that, uh, let not the wife depart from her husband. And if she depart, so look, if there's a separation, he said, then for the, the person that leaves, the wife, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. So for whatever reason, we live in a fallen world and maybe there's a separation. He's saying, don't, don't just go and remarry immediately. He's like, look, seek for reconciliation to come back together if that's possible. And he says, let not the husband put away his wife. But to the rest, speak I, not the Lord. So the Lord didn't specifically address this in his earthly ministry. But if any brother hath a wife that believeth not and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath an husband and believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the wife of the, or by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by her husband. Else were your children unclean, but now they're holy. If the unbelieving depart, let him depart. 
A brother or sister is not under bondage in such case, but God hath called us to peace. For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? Or how knowest thou, O man, whether thou shalt save thy wife? So what is he saying in these verses? So here, understand this context, right? In Corinth, in this church at Corinth, there were some that came to faith in Christ, but their spouse, their spouse had not yet come to faith in Christ. And he's saying, look, just because you become a Christian and they didn't, doesn't mean that the marriage is over. It, it doesn't mean that you should divorce. It doesn't mean that you should leave. He's saying, look, God, now, now he says, look, if they, if they leave you, that's not on you. That's not on you. Like, you can't control that. But you don't be the one to leave. You don't be the one to end the marriage. He's saying, because who knows? God could be using you as the instrument, as the tool for your spouse to come to faith in Christ. And vice versa. He's saying, look, the, the wife can be sanctified by the husband. It's not saying that if, if you're here as a woman and your husband's not a believer, that you're responsible for saving him. It's just saying God can use you and your testimony and your life to ultimately lead him to coming to faith in Christ and vice versa. So I speak a word just as Paul is speaking a word of encouragement to those within the church of Corinth. We speak the same word of encouragement to those in here who you're a believer, but your spouse is not. You are a follower of Christ and your spouse is not. Don't give up hope. That you don't know how God's using you. You don't know how God's using your testimony. You don't know how God's going to use the fact that you have been changed by the glorious gospel of Christ and how God can use that. For your spouse to come to faith in Christ. He's saying, look, you're a believer now. And, and, and they may be, someone maybe they became a believer. And, or they were already married before they became a believer. And he's like, look, don't think that means your marriage is over. It's like, now, if they leave you because you're a believer and a follower of Christ. And they don't want anything to do with that. He's like, that's not on you. You can't control that. But you don't be the one to leave. You don't be the one to leave. Let's, let's read on. Verse 17, but as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all churches. He's going to continue the same thought in just a few verses. But basically what he's saying is, look, be content with where God has you. Like some of you are married. Some of you are married, but your spouse isn't a believer. Some of you, he's going to talk about you're single. He's like, embrace where God has you. Stop looking over the fence at greener grass. Stop saying, in fact, he even speaks with more urgency about the time being short. He's like, look, stop coming up with all these excuses, how that, you know, you would, you would do this if this and all these scenarios. He's like, look, wherever God has you in life, follow him, serve him where you're at right now. And maybe today you wrestle with some of that. You wrestle with where you're at in life at this very moment. You're wrestling with just the circumstances. Maybe they're not what you would have chosen. And, and, and maybe you, 
you have been through a relationship that's just ended and it hasn't been what you've wanted. You wanted it to work, but you had a spouse that abandoned you or abused you or walked away from you. And, and, and maybe you find yourself, whatever the scenario, maybe you're single and you're really wanting to have someone and wanting to be married. And yet it seems like for whatever reason at this time in life that, that God's not allowing that to happen. And the truth is this. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean that you're second class or second rate. Embrace where God has you and serve God with where you're at. So he gives two examples. One, he says, look, there are some of you that came to faith in Christ um, and you were circumcised. So you would have been Jewish. And that was the outward sign of the covenant people of God. He's like, but some of you aren't. Some of you aren't. He's like, well, let every man abide in the same calling. Um, verse or 19, sorry, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God, let every man abide in the same calling wherein he's called. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it, but if thou mayest be free, use it rather. So he's saying, look, he uses circumcision. Then he uses a slave or servant. It's like some of you are slaves, right? Just with, again, within this culture, within this context and, and just, you know, bear in mind, like, you know, you're going to read in the scripture about slavery often. And some people who have no understanding of the context want immediately, oh, the Bible condones slavery. He's not condoning it. It's just like, this is just, this, this is just where they were at in this culture at this time. And he was saying, look, some of you are slaves. Some of you were slaves and now you're free. And some of you are free. He's like, wherever you're at, serve God where you're at. He's like, now, if, if you can be free, go for it. Like, take it. Take the freedom if you can. But he's saying, wherever you're at, whatever place God has you, be content with that. Serve God in that place. Verse 23 says, you're bought with a price and be not servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. Now, these next few verses that we're going to read, Paul's making this plug for some of the advantages of being single. Now, it's important to know here that there are those that, that, that take this passage out of context. And, and some have tried to say, well, God prefers you to be single. And in fact, you can't be of great service for God if you're married. You need to be single. Well, there's a certain context Paul's going to say, because it, it seems like what he's saying here is, he recommends singleness. He recommends that they don't get married. He's like, well, it's not a sin if you do, but I would recommend you don't. Well, because there's a certain context, though, that's taking place here. The reason he's saying that is because of there's a present distress that they're under at that time. So he says, concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, here it is, that this is good for the present distress. I say that it is good for a man so to be. He's like, are thou bound to a wife or are you married? Don't seek to get out of the marriage. He's like, are you loose from a wife or don't seek to marry? He's like, if you marry, you haven't sinned. And if a virgin marries, she hasn't sinned. Nevertheless, you know, he says you're going to have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. So... What was taking place at this time, we're not exactly sure. We're not exactly sure what this present distress was. 
we think it could have been that the persecution of believers was just kind of getting underway and starting. That there, were, there was persecution or that there was a famine as was, as was predicted in the book of Acts. It was already beginning and a famine would be equivalent to like a major economic disaster. And Paul's saying, look, be, because of the present distress, it might be better to just remain as you are. Like, it might not be the best time to jump into a marriage right now because of the present distress. He says, if you do, you're not sinning. He's just saying, look, I recommend that you may not do that. So that's the context. What's the application, though, to us in 2021? Well, I think what Paul's saying is, if you're single... Before getting married, consider all the factors. Like, weigh all the options, right? Like, like there may be, it may not be wrong, but also it may be wise to not jump into that. And I can think of a number of questions, right, that, that, that if you're single, that you should ask yourself before getting into a, a marriage. Like, and one thing, and this shouldn't even be an option because this isn't, this is clear in scripture, and that's, are, is that person a believer? Right? Believers should marry believers. Is this person a believer? And, and sometimes like when, when, when people, when I'll ask that and people say, oh yeah, they, yes, they're a believer. And like, well, why is that? Like, how do you know that? Have you guys talked about, well, they, they believe in God. Like, it's just like real general. And it's almost like it's wishful thinking, not fact. So as a, as a believer, if you're single, you need to ask yourself, is this person a believer? You need to ask yourself, maybe considering your own life, where are you at spiritually? Look, if you've just recently come to faith in Christ, it may be wise, again, like I would say, like Paul, it's not a command, right? But it might be wise to make sure you're rooted as a believer and follower of Christ first. That you're ready before jumping into that relationship. Did you just come out of a bad situation or a bad breakup? Again, it doesn't mean that God could never, never work in that situation. But a lot of times someone comes out of a bad relationship and they just want to jump in any relationship. And here's why. Because our culture presently uh, is very intolerant and very judgy. And it's ironic. It's ironic because a culture that claims that we're so tolerant can be very intolerant. And you can almost feel pressured like, Oh, I've got to be in a relationship. Man, if I'm single, something's wrong with me. And people can make you feel like that. I think Paul's saying, look, actually, there can be some great advantages. You need to follow what God's called you to do. And you're not second rate or second class. He's like, there's actually some advantages to that. So, again, we could talk a lot about, about some, um, about some uh, application for timing and is it wise to enter a relationship but that's really not the main point of this sermon and we're getting through 40 verses today so i don't really have time to get off on rabbit trails any more than i already have so look verse number 26 i suppose therefore that this is good for the present distress sorry we already read that verse verse number 29 but this i say brethren the time is short it remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none they that weep as though they wept not they that rejoice as though they rejoice not they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world is not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passes away. What is his point here? He's saying, look, 
look, the, the time is short. Don't be distracted with the things of this life. Now, it's not saying that your, your, your marriage you know, isn't important or that your family relationships. I mean, the reality is that as believers and followers of Christ, the relationships that we have with people, like that's going to last for eternity. Not, not in the same way, but I mean simply this, that, that, that as believers, as followers of Christ, it's so much more than just this life here and now. Paul's pointing out, look, don't become so attached. He says the time is, is short in verse 29. The Greek word, sustelo, that he uses for short, it means to be rolled up or to bind up. And it would be a term that they would use when a ship would come to harbor. And when that ship would approach the harbor, they would roll up those masts on that ship. Why? Because they, were, they had almost arrived. They were almost home. And Paul's saying, look, it, it's almost, it, we're almost home. And whether that's in the context of, you know, it sure seemed like Paul was expecting the return of Christ. Or, but, but, but whether that is exactly what he's speaking of or not, the point is that this life, even if we live to 90 or 100 years old, time is short. Time is short. And he's saying, have an urgency. Like, don't, don't be so attached to things in this life. And he's going to talk now about Look, if you're married, verse 32, you're caring for, uh, you're caring for, th for, for your marriage. Or, sorry, verse 32. I would um, have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord. So basically he's saying, not saying that people are married don't care about the things of the Lord. He's just saying, look, if you're single, you might have less distraction to serve the Lord in some areas. Right? It's almost like he's, he's, again, putting this other plug in for singleness. But he that is married cares for the things of the world that he may please his wife. So, verse 34, there's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and spirit. But she that is married cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now, again, together as married couple, you know, hopefully you're concerned about the things of the Lord. But again, the, the, the point that he's making is... Look, there's some other things and maybe even some things that, that can be a distraction or things that you might not have as much opportunity as if you were when you were single. It seems like that's the point that he's proposing. Like, hey, if God's called you to be single, whether like for your whole life or whether just for this stage of life, like, hey, don't think you're second class or second rate or there's something wrong with you. He's like... Hey, you're going to have some more opportunities to serve God that maybe somebody that's married doesn't have. Because when you're married, how many of you recognize who are married? Hopefully that, you know, it's more than just you. Like you have to consider what does my spouse think? What does my spouse want to do? So when just a few months after Taryn and I got married, I was planning, um, I was planning something for, so I, I was a youth pastor at the time. And so like, um, where I was in the church I was at, it was every Friday night is a youth activity, right? You're going bowling or you're getting pizza or you're getting pizza or you know, pizza was usually involved, right? It's a big party, you know, with 40, 45 teenagers. And so it, that particular year, my wife's birthday, which I know is May 4th. I got that. <laughs> it fell on a Friday and I thought, perfect perfect, right? 
Like what better way to what better way to celebrate my wife's birthday, the first year of being married, keep in mind. What better way to celebrate than, you know, having a big pizza party with teenagers? Like this is perfect. This is perfect, but one problem. I didn't consult with her what she thought about this great idea. Now you might be thinking, well, it doesn't matter because you're doing ministry. Actually, it did matter greatly because I'm married and it's not just about me. It's not just about me, right? And so, uh, so I, I didn't finish that story in the first service. Somebody was like, so you left me hanging. What happened? <laughs> and of course, what happened is we postponed the activity to Saturday, like a good husband should do, right? A point Paul's saying here, though, is look, if you're single, if you're single, like, recognize that, look, God has, there's some advantages. There, there might be some opportunities. Em, embrace that. Again, doesn't mean that you can't get married. In fact, he says, yeah, go ahead if you want. Go ahead if you want. But, but weigh all the options. Consider all the factors. Don't feel like there's something wrong with you if you're single. Embrace it. Embrace it. Be content. Nothing wrong with praying and pursuing that God would bring someone your way. But don't think that there's something wrong with you. Don't, in fact, again, Paul, it seems like he's just making this plug for, you know what? Man, you can have some, some maybe some more opportunities that God could bring your way for ministry by being single. He says, I speak uh, for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you. He's like, I'm not trying to burden you with this. But if any man think that he behave himself, verse 36, uncomely toward his virgin, if she passed the flower of her age, that's just a really a nice euphemism for saying that a, a young woman is matured now. He's like, and, um, and the need so require, let him do what he will. He sinneth not, let him marry. So, so this might seem really weird to us. Something called arranged marriage, right? That seems weird. But that's because that's not our culture. Of course, it seems weird. It wouldn't have been weird for them. Like how we do it would seem really, really weird for them. But, but the scenario here is this, right? There's, there's a, um, an arrangement or there's an engagement. And it may have been for like years and years that they knew like, hey, we're going to be together. That we're going to be married. And they know that. Paul's saying like, hey, it's not a sin if you go ahead and get married. Now, now be pure. Right? Don't act in an impure way. And again, I know that's like, well, that, that seems kind of weird in, in our culture of like, you know, waiting till you get married before you have sexual relationship with someone. And you know what? It was definitely weird in this culture too. It was counterculture to what was going on in Corinth. But again, Paul's saying as believers, right? We're called to live as God's called us to live. And it sometimes goes against what's normal in our culture. So, so Paul's saying, look, you have this arrangement, like, it's not a sin to marry. Go ahead. He's like, it might be better, though, to wait. It might be better to wait. Verse 38, so then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. So once again, we have to understand what this context, why is he saying all this? Why is he almost saying, like, hey, I'd recommend you not get married. I'd recommend you wait. Well, you know, we believe that, that all the scripture is inspired, and we also should consider what does all of scripture say and all of scripture speak. There's a specific context here. But again, I think the application is this. For those that are single, look, you don't have to wait till you get married before you can serve God. 
You have to wait till you get married before you, you're content. Like God has something for you. Don't believe the lie that maybe our culture can put on you or other people can put on you that, that oh, there must be something wrong with you. No, that's, that's not true. It's not true at all. Verse 39, he says, The wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will. Only in the Lord, right? I've got to be a believer. But she is happier if she so abide after my judgment. And I think also that I have the spirit of God. So again, he's saying, look, there's a wife and your husband passed away. You're free to marry. Might be better not to. Might even be happier if you don't. But look, not a sin. You're, you're, you're free to. So, so what do we do with this? I mean, this is just, you know, a lot of verses. And, and what is really the application for us? Well, I think, first of all, it, that for those that are married, for those that are married is that God wants you to stay married and have a fruitful, loving marriage. Love one another. Have a strong marriage. What's the best way to, to do that? Well, I, I think Paul talks about it, is be unselfish towards one another. And yes, it's in the, the context of the, the intimacy with one another, but it's, it's far more than that too, though. Living unselfishly in marriage, preferring your spouse's needs above your own, not looking at it as just what do I want and what's best for me and how can I get the most out of it, but how can I honor and please my spouse? How can I how can I prefer my spouse? God wants married couples to stay married. And again, this is not to try to guilt trip you or be a burden if maybe you've had a failed marriage in your past. We're talking about now. We're talking about now. God wants married couples to stay married and enjoy one another's love. Secondly, look, if, if you're single, consider all the factors, weigh all the options before getting married. I think that's a fair application of the passage. Again, we understand there's a certain context where he's saying, look, because of what's going on, consider that. I think it's fair to say, look, look, if you're here and you're single, consider the factors, right? Weigh all the options. And there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with where you're at and being single if that's what God has for you. But consider those things. Weigh all the options. Whether you're married or single, be content with where God has you. Serve God with where you're at. Maybe you're you're married and you have a wonderful marriage and your marriage is going well and be content with that and serve God. Maybe you're married, but you have a spouse that's not a believer. Be content and serve God. Like pray for them. I don't mean content in the sense that you're, you're not concerned, but understand, look, God is working and pray that God will use you for your spouse to become a believer and come to faith in Christ. But wherever, wherever you're at in life, be content with where God has you and recognize that God has a purpose for you and that there's some advantages to where you're at now to serve God in a way that you might not otherwise be able to. Be content with where God has you. And then fourthly, we see, don't hold the things of this life too clo closely. Say, look, hey, time is short. Time is short. If you're married, don't seek to get out of that. If, if you're not married, don't seek a spouse. Again, certain context, right, with what was going on. But I think the overall principle is, like, let's not hold on to things in this life too closely. Time is short. Let's have an urgency of serving God with where we're at right now. Let's pray. God, thank you.